1: When it comes to your spiritual life, how do you stack up? That's the question we're answering this week here on Truth For Today as we continue our series, The Measure of a Man. What's the old saying? If you were taken to court because you were a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And what would that evidence look like, by the way? Well, that is an interesting question, and some fascinating answers present themselves to us here as we continue our series, The Measure of a Man. We're in 1 Timothy chapter 3 today as we continue this series, taking a look at the tape measure, if you will, of what a Christian should look like, especially a man who would aspire to ministry. That's all before us today. Please join us. Here's Pastor Phil Howard with this edition of Truth For Today.
2: First Timothy 3. And we're just going to pick up one of the characteristics of this mature man. What does a mature believer look like? Would you know one if you saw one? <laughs> well, I believe he's given a profile of what elder bishops look like. But the characteristic profile ought to be true of every believer. This is a standard That we need to measure our lives by. And listen to what he says in 1 Timothy 3. Here is a trustworthy saying if anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Now, the overseer must be above reproach. In other words, it's wonderful to desire the function, but you've got to be sure you have the character. Character's the mandate. And here's what the profile of what a leader looks like in the church, and I think a measure of what a mature Christian man or a sister in the Lord, where you can apply it. It's a little hard for the sister to have uh, but one wife. But, you know, apply it where you can. Now, the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, Not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. And that's where we're going to pick up today, not a lover of money. The Bible is full of money, all kinds of passages that talk about money. You would think preachers had invented the subject instead of God, but God spoke about it. And a very common character. You hear this commonly. Uh, all the church wants is your money. All the church talks about is your money. And uh, we let those kinds of accusations scare us away from what the Bible says. Can anyone think right now the last time you heard a message in this church on money? Has it been a month? Has it been two months? Three months? Six months? A, a year? Maybe one in a year. Maybe. But you probably brought your unsaved friend with you today. And they said, I knew it. The moment I went to church, they started talking about money. (laughs) (laughs) Or the first time people visit. The first time they visit. We had a family leave. Says, we're not coming back. How come? You only came once. You talked about money. (laughs) Well, every Easter we talk about the resurrection. And every Christmas we talk about his birth. And so you almost get this, everybody can talk about money but the church. Because most folks are giving all of their money to everything but the church. But once we speak for God on the subject, don't expect any amens in this message today. All I got in the first service was heavy breathing. (laughs) And that's all right. Because uh, just don't breathe so loud they can't hear what I'm saying. And uh, and if you don't kind of make like you're for it, we're going to know you're guilty because silence about money is guilt. Uh, but the Bible's not opposed to people having money. The Bible's not against money. Uh, but the Bible has some warnings about money because it's full of people who were owned and controlled by money. A rich young ruler would not leave his money to have Christ. He said, "I'd rather have my money than to be saved." That tells you how strong a grip money can have on the heart. There was a rich young fool in Luke 12 who was so busy in his enterprise that he said, I need to build bigger barns to hold all the money, all the material wealth I'm gaining, barns, agriculture. I'm abounding. And he said, I will build bigger barns. I will expand. But God that night required his soul, and he said... So is it with a man who is going after riches but is not rich towards God? In other words, in his heart, he was poverty stricken. He had no time to develop a relationship with God, but he always had time to build bigger barns. If it had to do with money, he had time. If it had to do with God, not available. If it's money, I jump. If it's God, I pray about it. Or I make excuses. And he said, you fool, tonight you won't see your broker, tonight you'll see God. Luke 12 calls him a fool that he put financial endeavors ahead of God. What a stupid, foolish thing for a man to do when you can lose it all in a day. And when you can die before this day's over. You'd better know God and pay attention to the soul is what Jesus is saying Jesus told the story of a rich man in hell, that he wouldn't help a poor man. As the dogs licked the sores of Lazarus, the rich man ignored him, and he went to hell being rich, and a poor man went to heaven. What's he saying? The rich man obviously had no time for God, and Jesus says rich people scarcely are saved, because when you've got riches, you don't need God. That's the common equation. The Bible tells us about a man named Judas who sold the Son of God for 30 pieces of silver. Now 30 pieces of silver doesn't mean much to us, but what an insulting price to get for a man's life. If you'll read Exodus, 30 pieces of silver was the price of compensation if your slave was gored by an ox. If a slave was gored by an ox, the workman's comp was 30 pieces of silver. So Judas and the Pharisees could only come up with the price of a gourd slave to sell the Son of God. Some have sold him for cheaper prices. Ananias and Sapphira in the Bible lied to God about money. They said, I'll give so much to the church and we'll sell property. Whatever comes in, we'll give it. They got a good price or whatever the price they got from the land on the way back to the church, they lied about the deal and... God killed both of them on the spot. Strong message. I'm glad He doesn't do that today. If everybody who made a three year commitment or a pledge that didn't pay it was killed, we decimate the church. So, uh, God's merciful. God's merciful. The desire for riches has been the cause of innumerable frauds, thousands of divorces. Many a marriage that was for money and not for love. Perjuries, robberies, prostitution, drugs, gambling, poisoning, murders, and wars have been based upon the pursuit of money. So when we talk about money, if I warned you about a rattlesnake, you'd count me a friend. When I warn you about money, you say you're meddling. But guess what? Money is more threatening to your spiritual health than a rattlesnake. You know what to do with a rattlesnake. Many of us don't know how to live and respond to money. Let me read you some verses. Proverbs 28, 20 through 22. A faithful man will be richly blessed, but one eager to get rich will not go unpunished. A stingy man is eager to get rich and is unaware that poverty awaits him. A stingy man often wants to be a rich man And everybody that has less than him, he disdains. Being rich is not necessarily a permanent status. I don't care how much money you've got today, you can be poor before the year's over. Listen to what Proverbs 23, 4 through 5 says. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone. That's why I don't like to know if there's a lot in the checking account or savings. As soon as I think it's good, it flies. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. That's why they ought to put eagle on our money. They did on the half dollar, remember? Maybe that's it. Jesus said some things about money that warns us. Listen, be on your guard against every form of greed, Luke 12, 15. Be on your guard against greed, wanting more money than God maybe intends or being consumed with the pursuit of it. Be on your guard. Every form of greed. Beware of the deceitfulness of riches because they will choke out the word of God. Mark four nineteen. The deceitfulness of riches in your pursuit of them. We kind of hear these kinds of stories many times. Well, if I had more, I'd give it to God. Don't ever use that logic. It's what you're giving to God with what you've got now that will determine if you give it in the future. If my ship comes in, if I can win the lotto, I'll build that new building. If I can just win Reader's Digest, Publisher's Clearinghouse. That seems, That's not a gamble. You just pray over it. I've prayed over that thing so many times. I don't even waste time on the stamps. Carolyn, I don't even let her know when they come in the house. I don't want even the saliva of my tongue on a dirty 32 cents. They've lied to me so much. By the time I got that fourth thing, I was already building so many churches and buying a place. It never came through. Because you were praying against me. You were sending yours in. But you wouldn't have used it like I would have. I would have used it for God, you know. <laughs> You've got to watch the deceitfulness of what I would do if I had. What a big excuse for not doing anything with what you have. Um, where your treasure is, your, your heart will be. Luke 12, 34, Matthew 6. I know where your heart is just by listening to you talk and knowing where you put your money. Your mouth and your money tells me what you value. The heart, he says, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what you talk about, your heart's full of. And what you give your money to, Jesus said, that's where your heart is. So we ask where a man's investments are. And that's why I see people, uh, many people in this church give less than $500 to this church. Uh, many, give, many give less than a $1,000. Uh, you know what it says? Their heart's not here. Their body is, but not their heart. They don't have any investments to be excited about what goes on here. This will never be where your heart is until you make some investments. Jesus said that. And that's why people don't like to talk about money who attend church, but whose heart is not in church. Because their heart is really where their money is. And that's the tragedy of American Christianity. We're more in love with money many times And the God, the only God that can save. Let's look at two things today. Money and our needs, money and greed. I want to look at those two things. Money and your needs. God knows you need money to buy food, to exist. Joe Lewis once said, someone asked him, Joe, do you love money? He said, no, but it sure soothes my nerves. You don't love it, but it's sure nice to have it when the rents do you have to, we're living in a world that we have to have money, medium of exchange, and the Bible says in Ephesians four twenty-nine, that or four twenty-eight that we ought to work to have money, in order that we could do this. Look at four twenty-eight of Ephesians. Our reason for working. Ephesians four twenty-eight. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work. God's cure for stealing is work. Men that work usually don't steal. Doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Work enough so that your own needs are met and have something that you can share to meet the needs of others. First Timothy 5.8, talking about the care of widows who had no support, family members, he said, if you don't take care of your own family's needs economically... You're worse than an unbeliever. You've denied the faith if you will not share your resources to help family members. I've heard in recent days of family members giving thousands of dollars a year to underwrite beloved loved ones, widows, different categories, giving all kinds of money to see that they're cared for. That's noble. That's godly. It's biblical. Our culture says the children have no obligation to the parents. Social security does. Our culture says the parents owe everything to the kids. And the kids are going around saying, what will I inherit? Biblical culture says your kids are your social security. Your kids are the ones who will be there to help you emotionally and economically. But our culture... Says the fathers lay up to pass on to children, and that's wonderful and great. But biblically, children, what would you do for your parents if they needed it? The Bible says you'd get involved to meet their needs. Uh, the Bible warns us in 2 Thessalonians 3:10 of being so lazy that we would not work. And he says, we should not support a lazy man that would not work. A man must not be idle. He must work to supply his own needs. So the Bible has a strong work ethic to make money, not to be rich, but to meet needs in your own family and to meet needs beyond if the Lord gives you that kind of income. Uh, There's many rich believers in the Bible. Abraham was rich, Jacob, Solomon, Job. There's no virtue in being poor. Uh, There's no virtue in it. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. They shall be filled. But to be poor economically is a great disadvantage. Now, the Bible says don't ignore the poor, but it never tells you to be poor. It just acknowledges the poor you'll have with you always. Great disadvantage is, according to the book of Proverbs, a poor man has few friends. It says it in Proverbs, the rich have many friends. Everybody likes to be with a man that's got money, especially if he's not stingy. Get a lot of free meals, a lot of free rides. People love to be with a generous spender. Everybody wants to be their friend. If you don't think people like you, you just inherit some money and tell folks you're willing to spend it on them. And you will multiply friends. Your problem is you're too broke for anybody want to run with you, maybe. <laughs> Did you notice socially we only run, we usually feel comfortable running with people who have our same economic situation. It's real tough when you're on a tight budget and you run with a big spender. You can't keep up. Uh, you feel comfortable with people who are as broke or as prosperous as you. huh? I think of uh, when Carol and I was at this Bible college and made $250 uh, a month, you know what we love to do? Our big recreation was on Friday night to go to this guy on the campus, a student. He had a color TV. We only had a little, uh, about a 15 inch black and white rabbit ear TV. I mean, you need a magnifying glass to see it. So this couple, they were very worldly. They had a color TV and they weren't real popular in those days. Bigger screen. And we go over there Friday night. And uh, we ate pastries. S- uh, Swinhearts gave us pastries. But sometimes we kept them in the freezer so long, they began to get mold. A- and Ruby had a way of just scraping it off, heating it. And if you put lots of ice cream, you don't see anything. <laughs> and the penicillin's good for you. <laughs> I mean, that's a Friday night treat. You see color TV, watch a ball game. And and, uh, eat cholesterol and penicillin. But we felt comfortable with them because they were as broke as us. And we could just, it's felt. But now, anybody that had means and income, if they invited us out, it was all right as long as they knew we would be a total liability. We weren't going to keep up. We didn't have it. We didn't have it. And how many gracious people took us out and treated us wonderful? Uh, So, poor people have a lot of disadvantages. You don't get dental care when you're broke. You used to not get health care. We used to hate to make a doctor's appointment because we had no health insurance. Or we had a plan where we paid $85.15. Oh, we hated that. Education. Rich says our church doesn't send enough young people to college. That's true. And I said, you know what? The problem isn't convincing the kid. The problem is getting parents with $60,000 laying around to do it. Because with three kids, it cost 180000 Do you have that? Poor folks don't. There's no advantages to being poor. That's why you ought to work hard to give, to supply your family's needs, and don't say, poor is what I want to be. So we have that in the Word of God. I think as I've talked with different men, I hear this kind of talk. The talk of career, the talk of ministry. See, it's, uh, us preachers, we grow up different than you guys out there in the marketplace. Because in the marketplace, if they offer you $20,000 more, you automatically know it's God's will. God is sure leading. (laughs) It's like that preacher that, uh, uh, this church called him up and uh, they wanted him to come and Take their church and say, Well, I'll have to pray about it. And the guy starts saying, Well, we can offer you this great salary, all this money and all these benefits. And he says, uh, Just give me some time. And so he got off the phone. He says, Honey, I'm going to pray. You start packing. <laughs> Settled already. See, ministry says you're not to be motivated by money, that benefits. And money doesn't make you start at Holy Ghost Hall. Or it doesn't make you go to a mission field. It doesn't make you become a Mother Teresa. It doesn't make a Dr. John Bullock give up being an orthopedic surgeon down in San Luis Obispo so he can go to Bangladesh and give up all the wealth he could have made as a big, high-flying doctor and sell his yacht. Because money isn't everything. Or this attitude. We don't want our kids to be teachers It's the lowest paid profession going. We want any old bozo to teach our kids. And that's what California's doing. They lied to us about the lotto. Little of the money has gone to school. We're 50th in the nation on education as though we're a broke state. We're not broke. We just don't put any value on the kinds of money and the kinds of people it takes to raise a generation that can read their diploma. And it used to be, I've seen in the church, we've declined in sending our kids to Christian schools because it's no longer $150 a month. It's close to $500 a month in many schools. How much money can we give? Some of you don't have kids. You're not single parents. You don't know the economic throes that many of our fine people live with. They are broke. They are barely making it. First thing I want to say about money and our greed, why Paul says you should be a lover of it. Look at Titus 1.10. For there are many rebellious people, mere talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group, Judaizers, trying to get the saints to go back under the law. They must be silenced because they are ruining whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach And that for the sake of dishonest gain. False teachers in Paul's day were characterized as being motivated by money. That they were in religion, but they were using religion to gain wealth. And their motives were corrupt.
1: And that will conclude our time today here on Truth For Today from Valley Bible Church in Hercules with our teacher and pastor Phil Howard.